follow my pancake posse, my bacon brigade, before the show starts, take a second to subscribe and leave a review, share with some friends, and while you're listening, make sure you check out the Breakfast store with so much amazing merchandise at breakfast.com. People of Earth, if you can hear my voice, you have arrived at another episode of Breakfast with Brent Pope. I'm your host, Brent Pope, and my guest today does a lot of cool stuff, but he's probably known best as the casting director on TV shows such as The Middle, That 70s Show, Anger Management, Stand Against Evil, and Diary of a Future President. He's also a very popular acting coach in Los Angeles, so we definitely need to talk about that. And that's not all. And we also had breakfast from DeFranco Submarines, which is one of my favorite sandwich places in Los Angeles. So... State your name, height, and if you're willing to work as a local hire and shave for this project, because we have the sublime G. Charles Wright today on Breakfast. Pick it up. Welcome to Breakfast with Brent Pope. Breakfast. This young lady just smashed the lids on all these cakes in the bakery section. That could go on a Hallmark card. <laughs> My uh, guest today. Oh, I'm going to need to hear all about that. I didn't need any extra sausage. He adds character to my crew. <laughs> Is a goat pit a real thing? What? Welcome to Breakfast with Brent Pope. Great place to hang out and good food, too. I'm always playing blue-collar guys. Breakfast. Somebody screwed through the pipe. I wouldn't jump up and down until we stabilized the hydraulics. I love a crawler. Yeah. All my uncles got the gout. Jalapeno slash cheddar waffles. Who doesn't love that? It's Breakfast time. Breakfast. The only show where bacon, pancakes, Hollywood. I'm your host, Brent Pope. <laughs> uh, I would just, for the record, like to state that my height is five foot eight. I am uh, located in. I'm based in Los Angeles, and I am willing to shave for this project. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely be in the mix then. G. Charles Wright, uh, welcome to Breakfast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you are. Uh, you know, best known as a casting director on a lot of popular comedies. Uh, yes. Uh, for for those of you know. For a lot of us, even actors, I think we don't know exactly what that job entails. What do you think the broad strokes are of that job? Well, I will tell you this. Uh, you're not alone. Uh, even those even those closest to me in the workplace when I'm on a TV show don't know exactly what it is I do. Um, so, I mean, it, it is sort of a weird – it's a weird profession. But uh, a casting director is very much like a costumer – um, or uh, maybe a music uh, supervisor on a TV show. I am in charge of the people that you see on camera, as long as they're speaking. Um, so I cast the actors on the show, and that means that doesn't mean that I per- I personally choose each actor that you see. It means that each actor you see was a choice of mine, and I presented choices for each of those roles to the showrunners and then they chose one of those people just like with costumers who uh, would have to set uh, have to bring like a bunch of different costumes to the showrunners and say which one of these do you like for the actor and then they pick one it's the same thing excellent now give us some perspective too because so on your tv shows uh, i think that the numbers are going to be surprising to most people i think i have a pretty good grasp of what this is going to be but how many actors Let's say, do you get submitted from from agents and whoever for, let's say, for a co-star? How many people get submitted uh, in a co-star? For you guys don't know, it's something usually between one and five lines, maybe a little bit more than that, but usually it's around one to five. How many get submitted for each role, and how many of those do you bring in for an actual audition? So it depends on uh, any given role. Let's say it's a co-star role of a kid. Um, it's got a few lines, maybe five lines. If the kid is maybe a middle school age kid, I might get, oh, somewhere between 500 and 800. 
submissions, that's for a middle school kid. So yeah. that's not a lot of submissions, if you can believe it. That uh, because there's just not that many middle school age kids that are actors. If the role was the same size part, maybe under you know around five lines, uh, but it was for a uh, a man in his thirties or a woman in her twenties, I could get easily get over two th- somewhere between two thousand and three thousand submissions. <laughs> God, okay. See now, my I did I hit, I did not think it was going to be that many. To be honest, with you. I thought yeah. maybe half of that. Yeah. It depends. Uh, yeah, it, absolutely. It uh, so and and if they're even in their forties, uh, I could get that many submissions uh, easily. I get I can I can get around three thousand submissions for for certain roles, and then from those three, th- let's say let's say it's three thousand submissions. Uh, of those three thousand submissions. I might request auditions or self-tapes from, let's say, at the most, at the most, 25 to 30 people. Wow. And and that's going to depend on the age range of the character that I'm casting. And what I mean by that is if you're if it's the middle school character keeping in mind that kids you know kids age out of their demographic every you know six months right because they're they're kids they grow Uh, whereas uh, a a woman or a man an adult can play the same age range for you know some of them can play the same age range for uh, a decade or two depending on on their genetic makeup. Uh, but anyway, so they don't, you know, th- so that variable doesn't change as much. So in, so if it's a middle school kid, I have to, I have to see a bunch of new kids. So I might see 30, I might send out 30 requests for auditions. If it's uh, an adult in an age range that I cast often, uh, I may not need to see that many self tapes because I will already know a handful of actors that are right for it. So I, that number may get cut down to 10, 15. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. I hadn't thought that like, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but it it makes sense that since you know so many actors and you see so many that when things pop up, you you would instantly have like, oh yeah, these three people would actually be pretty good for this part. Yeah. Right yeah. off the bat. And, and you know, and, uh, and so nowadays I would still need to request a self tape from them because in the before times, uh, I might just try to set those two or three people up to come straight in for a producer session. Um, but now that doesn't really happen. And um, virtual producer sessions aren't as commonplace as we thought they'd be at this point. Uh, self-tapes really seem to be moving the uh, moving the market right now. Yeah. Because, be, really because the, uh, because the, the, the video conference platforms needed to run a successful uh, virtual live audition just are not where they need to be yet. Um, the problem with that is like, you know, I, uh, Zoom, for instance, uh, Zoom Media, of course, uh, I started teaching my class, my audition classes on Zoom in the middle of March, as soon as everything shut down. And when we started, the Zoom uh, infrastructure was still pretty buggy. But within probably six months, of using it from March going forward, Zoom was able to fix most of those bugs and get a really great program going. And the reason for that is because the entire country switched over to Zoom yeah. <laughs> for for business meetings. So we all became, you know, 
uh, they had suddenly had this large pool of beta testers reporting problems. And so they were able to fix them quickly. The, um, the catch with a lot of the, um, the video conferencing uh, software that is used for virtual auditions is that if I use it and it's real buggy and it screws up my audition, uh, my audition session, I just don't use it again because there's, because there's those, <laughs> because those sessions are, there's so much at stake for every, everyone involved uh, in those sessions that I don't have the, I don't have the uh, luxury of beta testing that product for them. It needs to be working now. Uh, yeah. So, so instead of having all these casting directors using a lot of these uh, virtual audition platforms around the clock, like Zoom had with businesses, uh, they don't, and so they're they're still real buggy and they're not working as well. But self tapes and the process to uh, to upload and deliver a self tape now has become so seamless that it seems to be that seems to be the way it's all going. Yeah, and I think that's our hour. Okay, well, it was really nice talking to you, yes. Brent. <laughs> Uh, I'll let you know when this is going to come out, and <laughs> uh, that's that's great info. Uh, that's actually sparked a couple of more questions for me. So I like doing self tapes, but mm -hmm. I feel like I'm good in the room with the casting director. I'm good at uh, building rapport and mm -hmm. taking directions. And so the interesting thing to me, from your perspective, I'm wondering, like somebody could do a self tape, and they could do that. They could do that thing ninety times until they get a good take, and that's mm -hmm. what they send in. Mm -hmm. Like you said, with the lack of producer sessions now, how do we know? Is it just a educated guess? Yeah, it's pretty tough. Uh, it is pretty tough. Uh, for uh, I have a, a way that I that I've uh, I've devised that I use for uh, for my self tape submissions to kind of weed some of that out. But from talking to some talking to some casting directors who are using different virtual live uh, platforms to run their callbacks. They seem to just go off of self-tapes that they like, and then they call you back. And maybe their callback is having you self-tape again uh, with notes, or it's having you on some kind of a platform. Uh, and I do think that with that uh, in mind, because you're right, uh, most actors are going to record their, their performance probably about 90 times to get a good one. Uh, and then they'll send that one in. And if uh, they get a call back, they're not going to even remember what performance that was, because how could they? They were really just kind of flying by the seat of their pants all along. And uh, and then if they're giving, given any adjustment, you don't know how to apply that adjustment because you still, of course, don't remember your performance. So I do have a, a way of working around that myself, which is if, uh, if the role is one to five lines, uh, my preference on a self-tape is leave the camera running and do... Uh, do the scene back to back on the same take. So just take a beat yeah. in between it so that, uh, and do it because uh, what I'm looking for is consistency. I need to see that you can deliver the same performance more than once. And if you can do that, I'm also, I, uh, I hope that you can be able to maybe take an adjustment uh, as well. But that is the, that is the more difficult thing is being able to be consistent, especially with those small parts where they need you to just fire that off the same way every time. Uh, and, and then if the scene is, uh, and then if you're auditioning for something larger, that's maybe um, uh, a couple of scenes or more, uh, what I prefer to see is an actor performing all of their scenes 
back to back on the same take with just a beat between each scene so that, again, I know that you haven't just cut together a greatest hits or a best of of your takes on each scene. If you have the ability as a performer to get through all five to ten pages of your sides together without without editing, then that shows you as a strong, consistent actor as well. Nice. Yeah, that's a that's a great strategy. All right, I knew you'd have a re- I knew you'd have a way that to kind of weed it down a little bit because it has there has to be a way to do it, and that makes sense if you have a longer scene. And I guess also when you're coming in for those bigger scenes, you probably have some credits already usually, and uh, and you you can see if they do a long scene, you're not if you're just doing it a hundred times, you're not gonna be able to get through the long scene anyway. So right, yeah, that makes sense. Um, what's the biggest? Mistake you see actors making maybe the first time you see them when they when you bring them in. Uh, okay, so you know it's different now because we're not, you know, like you you were saying how you enjoy being in the room for an audition. Um, you know, I enjoy that process as well because it also gives me the ability to get to know more about you, the performer, and uh, and and it gives me the ability to give you adjustments and stuff on the fly right there and really kind of take care of any of that stuff, you know, right away. Uh, so I miss all of that. And uh, now that everything is on self-tapes, I would say that the biggest mistake I see are people really just flying by the seat of their pants, clearly not putting in the specifics work that they need to do on their audition material. Instead, what they the, a lot of people do is they start with trying to make a choice that will make them stand out. Their assumption is that everybody is doing it the same way and they want to stand out from that pack. And um, and that's really not the case. Um, I will say that it sometimes can feel to a casting director like everyone is coming in and doing it the same way because so many people are all coming in and and either, either afraid to make any choice mm-hmm. for fear that it is wrong or they're making choices to try and stand out, but those choices are not grounded in any of the text. And either way, what you wind up with is a flat audition that does not read truthfully. And then uh, from my side of the table, it just all looks like a bunch of boring auditions. And that's why sometimes you'll hear casting people say to you, uh, they'll actually say, do something different to make yourself stand out. Right. Uh, when what they what they really mean is approach the material. Look at the, read the sides. Uh, and if you're auditioning for an episodic uh, show, uh, I also recommend downloading all of the sides that are posted on Showfax or Sides Express uh, for that episode and reading through all of those. Uh, sometimes you can Frankenstein those sides together by the script page numbers to get a semblance of the the entire episode story. It just gives you more background. But anyway, uh, take your sides and really figure, read through them and see what the writer is telling you. What does my character want in this scene? What is at stake for me if I don't get what I want? Your stakes are what drive the scene for you. They are crucial to your performance. And then ask yourself, okay, what is happening to my character in the scene? All three of these questions need to be asked, uh, need to be responded to with a very concise, short sentence, not long, drawn off paragraphs. Want, stakes, what's happening to me? Then you start to make choices for your character, not until you've completed all those other steps. 
You make choices for your character that are based on what the writer's intentions are in the scene. You, I call that educated choices. That's when you, yeah. and, and that's, honestly, that's how you stand out because most people just fly by the seat of their pants when they go into an audition. They're very fatalistic about their auditioning process. Uh, they may have booked a job one time where they didn't prepare uh, before went, before going in. So now they think, oh, the key to me booking a job is by not preparing. When in truth, they booked the job uh, because they're just so intrinsically right for that role, that type of role. But they get caught up and think, oh, well, then just don't prepare. People get so fatalistic about it or thinking too much about wearing a costume, trying to make myself look a certain way that they ignore the actual important aspects of auditioning. Well, before we go any further, we had breakfast from DeFranco Submarines. Uh, it's been there for a long time. It's a tiny little uh, spot where it used to it used to be just like people crammed in that little shack like sardines and then a line waiting outside. And that's not like that now. But uh, the sandwiches are still the same and you just line up, line up and back. And I thought that was fine. Um, I had the, uh, the, the turkey breast sandwich. Well, actually, so Tressa got a turkey breast. I got a pastrami. Their cold and hot sandwiches are both great. And I, I don't know. I don't, I just, I love that place. It's right by the flyway too. So I guess if you were flying somewhere, you could pick it up on, on the way. What would you difficult. get? It would be very difficult to eat those sandwiches. Uh, okay. So here's the well, thing. That's I, true. Uh, on a plane. Uh, I have a lot to say about DeFranco submarines. I chose the uh, DeFranco submarines uh, for a specific, for specific reasons. I had been thinking a lot about it. Uh, I do not live anywhere near DeFranco <laughs> submarines now. Uh, it, uh, but, um, in fact, the, the trip there was arduous, even even in pandemic light traffic. Uh, but I was this place has been open for more than forty years. Now, um, in night from nineteen ninety to nineteen ninety two, I frequented Franco DeFranco submarines at least twice a week, every week for two years, sometimes more. Um, it was across the street from a really shitty telemarketing job that I had. Mm. And that was one of the places that me and my telemarketing uh, partner, if you will, the other guy, the other guy in my, in my room, uh, it was, it was one of the places that we liked to go to on a regular. And anyway, so the woman who owned it at the time, her name was Drew, D-R-U. Okay. Drew worked, and you know, DeFranco's very small. It's about the size of a Jeep. I mean, yeah, and that's, that's right. It, it's not really much bigger than a, a Jeep, like a Humvee. It's the size of a Humvee. Mm -hmm. And there's like five, uh, five stools in there. And so we would be sitting there for lunch and you'd have all like all five stools would be taken. And then there'd be five guys standing behind you waiting for you to finish your sandwich. So you get off the stool and they would sit down. Not unlike the way the apple pan in West LA works where people just kind of stand behind you and wait for you to finish and get up. Yep. Uh, so, uh, and then there'd be people lined up outside to come in and sit down and there'd be to go orders coming in and out. Drew, this woman who was probably 40 ish, uh, when I was, when I was hanging out there, did it all herself. Occasionally, occasionally she'd have a helper that the helpers never seemed to last very long. Um, but uh, occasionally she'd have a helper back there, maybe prepping hot sandwiches or, you know, the meats and stuff like that. But it's a small place and it basically com comfortably probably fits two people 
to work back there. Um, and Drew did it, basically did all of it herself. So wow. I show up now. Uh, so I, like I said, 90 to 92, those were my years there. And then maybe back in two, in the early two thousands, I popped back in, uh, one day when uh, we were having a break on that 70s show and there was no free food for me on set. And um, so I thought, <laughs> I thought, hey, I want to drive over and see Drew at DeFranco's and see if she still remembers me because I was I was a pretty young and um, I wasn't really that young, but I was in my mid-20s. Uh, but I was a young, aimless, sad guy who was really having a lot of trouble putting his life together. And she was really always very sweet. And I felt like, hey, I want to just pop in and let her know that everything turned out okay. Um, and of course, she remembered me. And we chatted for a long time. She was, anyway, she was great. She was a real sweet lady. And so we sat there and talked for a while and I had my sandwich. But that was the early 2000s. And I had not been back since I went to get my sandwich to eat for this. And um, so I wore my DeFranco's Subs t-shirt that I bought from Drew in 1991 that I still own and still wear. Uh, it's very old. So I wore that and I show up. And now, of course, because of uh, pandemic, you can't actually walk in, in, walk inside. So you walk around back and you order from a, a little fold up table. And then some guy come go, a man or a woman comes out and they take your order and then they go back inside and then they will bring you your order outside. Uh, there were the guy, I kept seeing kids that were working there. I kept seeing kids come in and out. There was a, they have a storage, a food storage unit out in the back. So a lot of them kept coming out to go to the food storage unit and come back in. I started, I started counting and keep in mind back when I used to uh, go here regularly, there were one or two people working behind the counter. I had clocked at least five different people so far while I was sitting there eating my sandwich coming in and out, uh, like a circus clown car. And finally, I stopped a guy and I said, how many people you got working in there? And he says, we got seven. And I said, seven people working back there? Is that just because the place is closed and no one can sit inside? So you have more room? He says, oh, no, we sometimes have up to nine people working in here. How do they yeah, fit? Can you imagine fitting nine? If, for anyone who goes to DeFranco's to pick up a sandwich from this thing, I try to imagine nine people fitting inside that tiny little place. I, I cannot imagine it. Well, the Guinness Book of World Records uh, of number of people inside of DeFranco's was seven until two years ago. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> um, so there's something to to say about DeFranco's. Uh, DeFranco's Submarines is not a submarine sandwich shop. It is specifically a place. It is a DeFranco's subs are literally a style of sandwich. So yep. you don't you don't want to go there expecting what you might find at uh, at, a, at an Italian sandwich deli. You're not going to have that level of choices. They have very, as far as their toppings go, I mean, the sandwich style is very uh, unique. And so people either love it or they hate it. And uh, so you don't, uh, but I do, I always get the cold turkey sub. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what I ordered when I went and it tasted remarkably the same to me. Um, the bread is like a, I'm like an Italian roll with sesame seeds on it. And then they top every, they top the sandwich with, um, cut up raw onions, uh, dill pickles and tomatoes. Yeah. And then they shake on their special seasoning, which has oregano and whatever in it. Uh, that's their DeFranco's, uh, secret 
secret herbs and spices, and then some oil and vinegar. And uh, it was, it did feel like most, I don't know, I don't know how often you eat sub sandwiches or go out for those nowadays, but, uh, but I do. And I have found <laughs> that, <laughs> that in, um, they do seem to put a lot less oil and vinegar on those sandwiches now mm-hmm. than, than in days of old. Have you yeah. noticed that? Yeah, I mean, if you want the if you want the full oil and vinegar, you gotta go to like someplace like Jersey Mike's because then they just douse it in that stuff, and that's that's okay too. I don't need that much on there, but mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. I don't think it's as much as it used to be. For me, you know, DeFranco's, I love, even though it makes it very messy. Those mm-hmm. chopped onions and pickles and and tomatoes uh, that I'm constantly just like scooping back up onto the sandwich just yeah. so I can get everything in there. Yeah. It's delicious though. I love oh, it. I uh, I, ab- I absolutely love it. If it wasn't so far away from me. Uh, I would go. I would go more. And I, the kids that were working there got a huge kick out of seeing my T-shirt, which they had never, of course, seen. The, a couple of them were keen to point out to me that that shirt is no longer made. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think DeFranco, DeFranco's is no longer owned by Drew, the woman who owned it when I used to eat there. And I don't know if it's on its uh, if, if it's on its second owner since her or what, but. The business seems to be doing well, and uh, I don't like their new signage. I took mm-hmm. photos of it. I think the new signage looks cheap. I thought the old signage looked more authentic and fun. Yeah. But, um, but the sandwich still tasted good, and all the kids who worked there were remarkably friendly. I I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they're on another owner yet either, because when I I used to work at a school that was like maybe two blocks from there, mm. and so I would go there a couple times a week during lunch. And um, yeah, the pastrami or the or the cold turkey; those are my two go tos there. Yeah. But there was, I believe, there's a guy that owned it, and then I didn't see him last when I went when we went in last time. So mm-hmm. maybe yeah, it's I mean, another it, it owner seemed, again. It seemed pretty clear to me that everyone who was working there yesterday when I went, there were, as I said, seven, uh, are not the owners. They're they're all just working. They're all young kids, you know, working yeah. there. So, and then, and they didn't, they didn't recognize your shirt either. So they don't know anything about the, the, the sitcom Perfect Strangers or, I mean, come on, what, <laughs> what was happening? I mean, they were all amazed by my shirt. Had, had, had this been an op, but they uh, had never seen it before. Uh, had, uh, had I been able to actually walk in and sit down, I would have had a much more exciting experience. But, you know, yeah. like I wanted to talk to these kids. I wanted to find out like. Uh, you know what the who the owner is, what the, what's going on with the place now? Because when I used to go there, I I I spent so much time talking with the owner Drew and really got to know her, and so I knew a lot about her business, and uh, I was interested to ask those kind of weird old man questions now um, yeah. of these kids, but I really didn't have that opportunity. I did ask a few questions while I was eating my sandwich and one of the kids walked by, but then my mask is off. And so there's, you don't want to talk right. to them a lot and right. everything, God, uh, everything is so messed up right now. <laughs> yeah. Look, it, that is something I really do miss. Like that experience of sitting down specifically at a little counter like that, where there's just like a few seats and mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're watching them make sandwiches while you're eating and maybe you, maybe you get to know the person next to you Yeah. or, you know, maybe you can turn to the person behind you and go, no, I'm not, I'm not done yet. Okay. I'm not. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah you know, f- I don't do a whole lot. Uh, you know, I'm a uh, I'm a single guy. I am. Uh, I keep pretty much to myself. I'm kind of a an agoraphobic, and I'm a sort of an. I call myself an extroverted introvert. Um, 
I have some OCD issues. I'm on the autistic spectrum. There are things about my life that are set up in, um, in very, um, strident ways. Like I, I like a lot of, uh, I like my life to function a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so there are things that I like to go out and do. Uh, and those are really, for the most part, I like to go to a movie. I like to go out to eat and yeah. I like to go to the gym. And those are basically my three things. Th- doing a lot of stuff outside of those three things is not really in my wheelhouse. I can go out and do other things, yeah. but they're not, I don't think to do them. <laughs> so someone would have to ask me and I would probably not have, I would probably have to have not done something like that in a very long time for me to go. Otherwise I like to do those three things, gym, a movie theater and uh, go out to eat. And I cannot do, obviously, as you can't, uh, any of those things now. And it makes right. it very difficult. Before we get out of here, mm-hmm. D. Charles Wright, I do need to get three quick recommendations from you. Okay. What is your guilty pleasure show or movie you've been watching? Uh, I don't consider anything that I watch to be a guilty pleasure. Uh <laughs> Because I have a because I have a very refined palate. I would say the thing that I watch that is a guilty pleasure uh, is um, a, a cable, not a cable. It is an internet television channel called Buzzer that you can find on Pluto TV or any of those things. And it, it Buzzer is old game shows, and I sit and watch Password and Match Game and the like, Supermarket Sweep, uh, Card Sharks, those things. I watch those every day. Mm. That's they also have Joker's pleasure. Wild. I like that one. I love Joker's Wild. No, I haven't seen Joker's Wild pop up yet. Uh, Match Game. There were so many episodes of Match Game that they're running. They run that a lot during the day. So those are those make up the bulk of uh, of the episodes I see. All right. Uh, what is the hidden gem show or movie that you love that that people may not know? Uh, the show that I'm the TV series I'm most excited about this year is a it's an hbo series it just the first season just wound down it was eight episodes it comes from hbo europe specifically spain and the show is called 30 coins it's on hbo mm. max and hbo right now and it is a supernatural horror thriller that i am obsessed with i've watched every episode week to week as it came out and i'm about to sit down and re-watch all eight episodes back to back Nice. All right. Have to check that one out. What is the show or movie that either inspires you or reminds you of yourself? Hmm. I don't know that I ever feel like I see myself. To be honest with you, I don't feel like I ever see myself uh, in most of the stuff I watch. Uh, But there are things that I, I do find inspiring. I am a big fan of the original series of Star Trek. Yeah. And that is, I'm not one, I'm not one to sit and rewatch movies over and over again or rewatch TV series in particular. There are a handful of movies that I will rewatch every year or two or three uh, because I that's I do enjoy that, but I don't watch a TV show and then go back and keep watching them. I'm not that kind of guy. But mm-hmm. Star Trek the original series is that one show for me um that I do I've always find something new that I didn't see before uh when I watch when I watch them and uh, that's probably my 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 most and it's been a part of my life my entire life yeah i look i love going back and watching them even just the colors Mm -hmm. on that is just i I don't know why it's just great i wonder i do wonder sometimes if it is the colors because the um 
the 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 bright colors of that show were uh were that was a conscious decision um and uh, as you know if you watch the show you know that the uh really the first couple the first episodes they have different costumes they have different you know uniforms and everything is a little more muted it's a lot of like light blue and beige um turtlenecks uh, velour turtlenecks and then it uh and then it it switches to these more bright primary colors and things pop like that. And that is something that I miss from uh, the uh, the next generation era uh, of costumes and from the movies and even from the J.J. Abrams movies where he tries to remake those costumes, but he still manages to uh, darken and kind of mute out the vibrancy of the colors. I, yeah. There is something about those colors that I find really calming. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know what it is either, um, but it is a thing. Yeah, I, you know, the show I've watched a bunch of times, uh, and I don't even know if I watched it when it originally came out. Is that is that show Soap, the comedy oh. with like Billy Crystal and yeah uh, Richard Mulligan? I don't, and I don't know that I've ever revisited it. I did watch it when it was on, uh, but I don't, uh, and I loved it. I was obsessed with um, Jay Johnson, who was the oh yeah Chuck and Bob the yep. ventriloquist that I was obsessed. I, I watch it every couple of years and I think it stands up, you know, yeah. and then it's just like so cool. Like it's the the origin story of Billy Crystal, too. You know, you're just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He kind of came out. He he really kind of came out on that show. Unfortunately, you, his character, who was gay, didn't really come out on that show. But uh, right. But he but he really did come up, come up on that show. Isn't it funny that soap really felt like such a great series mm-hmm. um, and it only ran for maybe what, three seasons, four seasons? I think it's I think it's. I think it's three. Maybe it's four. Yeah. I think but one of them was shortened. Its spinoff series is Benson, mm-hmm. which if you go back and try to revisit that, it is an unwatchable piece of shit show. It is yeah. such a lousy, it's just not funny. It's so bad. And Benson was on, I think, for 11 years. Right. <laughs> I mean, I thought I thought he, I thought his performance is good and he's a great actor. Oh, yeah, but like yeah, the, no, the stuff around he's it. He's great. And, and, uh, Krauss, the, the Benson Krauss dynamic is, is chef's kiss, but the, yeah. the show itself is bogged down with too many, too many other people, uh, doing just too much nonsense that isn't needed. Right. I told a story a couple weeks back about how I, you know, I was in an indie film and one of the, one of the stars of that indie film at the premiere was friends with uh, Robert Guillaume, and he came to the premiere. And I, you know, I, whew, my wife convinced me to talk to him. I didn't want to because I was yeah. like, you know, never meet your heroes, right? Right, right. No, <laughs> but he course. was so. I mean, he was just the best. He was yeah. just like so nice. And this was like not long before he passed. So oh, wow. Um, but yeah, uh, and he, how great was he on soap, though? I mean, no, uh, <laughs> I mean, Benson is such a great character. Yeah, and yeah. for him to be able to play that character so beautifully. Um, on soap where he's where he's really a supporting drive by where he just kind of walks he walks through a scene and makes a joke yep. you know like a dry delivery and to be able to take that that character and then completely change it to ground an entire right. series on your own shoulders is uh is a testament to his ability to perform it's no wonder they spun him off well, and then he did have his, he, he would have the zingers, and then he also <laughs> would have his you know, catchphrase every time somebody rang the doorbell. You want me to get that? Yeah, that was so great. <laughs> that was so great. But yeah, because he, go, he goes from being that guy who doesn't want to do anything to being the most competent person uh, in right. the room on Benson. And uh, yeah, he's, 
Ugh, he's great. But yeah, the Kraus, the Benson Kraus dynamic of Benson is uh, is pretty genius. And I do love the idiot governor, but it, I do feel like that show just got bogged down so much. Anyway, you can tell it I, did, I, I uh, but I, but I love it. And I go back. That's, that's the one I go back to. Well, thank yeah. you for those recommendations. I appreciate it. Yeah. Guys, if you'd like to get more breakfast stuff, such as pictures of G. Charles Wright and I enjoying our breakfast from DeFranco's Submarines, go to the brand new Brent Pope website, brentpope.com. You can listen to all the breakfast episodes there. You can see clips from all my TV appearances. And you demanded it. The official breakfast store with a bunch of fun stuff, shirts, mugs, stickers, masks, perfect for any time of the year. People of Earth, I bring you this show for free, but it's not free to make the show. So help us keep this thing going by picking up something from the breakfast store. You'll be glad you did. On social media, you can hit me up on Instagram at Scoops Pope. Give me a follow. And if you have a breakfast question, ask away. Make sure you follow my Facebook actor page as well. And if you like the show, please subscribe, leave us a review, share it with friends. Breakfast is being enjoyed all over the United States and in over 35 countries covering six continents. And trust me, my omelet hombres, my coffee conquistadors, we are just getting started. Special thanks to my editor, the one and only Rosemary Brown, for all the breakfast slicing and dicing. Much appreciated. Big ups also to my studio engineer, Daniel Erickson, for making me sound so good. G. Charles Wright, what is next for you, and where can we find you on social media? Oh, uh, I am obsessed with TikTok. That is the place really to find me on social media. Uh, You're killing it on there. I, I love being on TikTok, where I talk a lot about diversity and inclusivity and casting and the future of television. Through my uh, through my videos, look for me there. That's that's my most fun. And you can also Excellent. find out information about uh, the classes that I teach on at my website, which is gcharleswright.com. So it's just my name, gcharleswright.com. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming in. We will have to schedule another sessions because we got to get to all these. Uh, look, we didn't even talk about tic tac dough. Uh, we didn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> you have to remember, Brent. I am fifty four years old, and I have packed a lot into those yeah. years. So uh, let me know when, you want to, when you're ready to do your G. Charles Wright season, and I Thank will you. be back. We didn't talk about Simon and Simon. <laughs> we didn't talk about... <laughs> oh, that's real quick. I can talk about that right now. Yeah. I've, never seen right. a, I've never seen an episode. Oh, really? No. Interesting. Gerald McRaney. No? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you. It was a real pleasure. And with that, we put another callback-worthy episode of Breakfast with Brent Pope in the Ultimo Bag. See ya. <laughs>